What's up, family? You are tuned into Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. From KPFA Radio and the Pacifica Network, I'm your host, Kat Brooks. Many of you know that in addition to hosting this show, I am also the co-founder and executive director of the Anti-Police Terror Project. It is in that capacity that I first came across Mr. James Ramsey, a 27-year-old unsheltered black man with severe mental health crises. In 2021, James Ramsey assaulted the president of Oakland Chinatown Chamber of Commerce, Tarl Cham. APTP began advocating, in partnership with Mr. Ramsey, for placement in a long-term mental health facility rather than jail or prison where he could get the treatment he wanted, needed, and deserved. Instead, the court sent him to Santa Rita Jail. Upon his release, APTP worked for months to get Mr. Ramsey a facility to be placed in while housing him in a variety of hotel rooms. We were turned away by every single facility we contacted. Eventually, we lost Mr. Ramsey to the streets until two weeks ago when his name appeared in the newspaper for having assaulted another Asian elder. Joining us this morning to discuss the lack of services and infrastructure in California to take care of community members with high mental health needs, especially those with criminal convictions, is Emily Hoven, an opinion columnist at the San Francisco Chronicle. She previously wrote for the nonprofit newsroom Cal Matters on California politics and policy. Good morning, Emily. Good morning, Kat. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for joining us. Before we dive in, we're actually going to play the recorded statement released by APTP and our allies. Let's roll that tape, please. Statement on James Ramsey from Oakland Organizers, July 26, 2023. The following is a joint statement from the Anti-Police Terror Project, Asian Prisoner Support Committee, Tony Devonksvith, Eddie Zhang, and Lavender Phoenix. We are deeply saddened to learn of the 88-year-old Asian elder who was assaulted on Monday, allegedly by Mr. James Ramsey, a 27-year-old Black Oakland disabled resident with a well-documented history of serious mental illnesses and a history of head injuries who has been repeatedly failed and abandoned by the state. We understand the victim's condition is serious and we are praying for her recovery. We further understand that this is not the first time Mr. Ramsey has been implicated in an incident of attacking elder members of our community and that this is not an isolated event. In addition to our grave concern for the victims of the attacks, we are saddened and outraged that we are here. This tragic systemic failure could have been prevented if the state had not completely abandoned Mr. Ramsey despite his serious needs, desire for help, and despite our repeated urgent calls for support. APTP, along with our partners, tirelessly endeavored to secure housing for Mr. Ramsey over the course of several months. Regrettably, every relevant state and nonprofit agency turned him away, neglecting their responsibility for his well-being and public safety. The state and mental health systems in the Bay Area have a clear history of Mr. Ramsey reaching out for support as his illness is chronic and debilitating. For people in his condition, the state claims to have mechanisms in place as safeguards. But time and again, we see those supposed safety nets fail, as they have James Ramsey and other like him completely. As a consequence, tragedies like this happen, and the prison system swallows people who should have received treatment and whose conditions is then further worsened behind prison bars. We've included an account of our efforts to support James Below, and we want to be very clear. The attacks should never have happened. We are building a world that seeks to confront the systems that create crisis in our communities and transform them into systems of compassion and care. To only look at the worst moments in a person's life does a disservice to us all. We implore everybody to take the facts into consideration when reading about this story. To summarize the state's neglect of Mr. Ramsey, one, APTP tried to reach out to Mr. Ramsey after his previous arrest in 2021, but our letter was returned by the jail. 
2. Mr. Ramsey was sent by the judge to California Medical Facility Vacaville for evaluation, but round up back in Santa Rita Jail. It is our understanding that he was never sent to CMF Vacaville for the long-term care and treatment he needed. The violence inside of jail and prison walls does nothing to heal mental health issues, but rather severely exacerbates existing conditions and creates new ones. Three, our request for Mr. Ramsey to be referred to behavioral court was denied. Four, Mr. Ramsey was then released from Santa Rita without any support, follow-up, or wraparound services adequate for his needs. APTP spent months of intense effort advocating for Mr. Ramsey to receive these services. Five, he was released from Santa Rita with nothing but his jail-issued uniform, bus ticket, and a BART ticket. Six, the jail did not fill his medications. He sustained an injury to his head while in jail and his ID was stolen, which prevented him from accessing needed medical treatments. He finally received his prescribed medications after an advocacy intervention, but was not granted a requested medical reevaluation. Seven, APTP met Mr. Ramsey outside of jail when no one else from the state was willing to help. We provided short-term hotel accommodations and engaged in intensive advocacy efforts to get him into a residential program. Eight, Mr. Ramsey was rejected from every relevant program that could have and should have helped him. Nine, in March of 2022, APTP attempted to get Mr. Ramsey urgent care when he appeared to be in a catatonic state, but mobile crisis did not arrive. They took around an hour to call back and said they prioritized another more urgent call, despite Mr. Ramsey's suspected grave disability. The severity of Mr. Ramsey's disabilities led APTP to advocate for supportive long-term housing and residential care. At no point did relevant state and nonprofit organizations heed our warnings or conduct an adequate evaluation to assess and provide the kind of care and treatment that Mr. Ramsey needed. We set up a GoFundMe to raise funds to support Mr. Ramsey. The funds were raised to replace identification, provide food, phone, and temporary housing for Mr. Ramsey, as we spent weeks trying to find him a facility that would have met his needs and contributed to both his and the community's safety. Again, we are deeply saddened and disturbed by this incident. We are holding the elder in our thoughts and prayers. We cannot imagine the pain she is experiencing and what her family is going through. We are here to be of service to them as well. We were worried a tragic outcome was becoming increasingly likely. Our every plea to provide health, housing, and wraparound services fell on uncaring ears, and as a result, one of our community members has been harmed. Moving forward, we believe the people of Oakland and San Francisco can truly care about the safety of elders walking our streets as well as people like Mr. Ramsey with severe mental illness and other disabilities. And we call on state agencies to do more to provide resources, care, and permanent support to people with similar disabilities as Mr. Ramsey. Unfortunately, tragedies like this systemic failure will continue to happen if we don't seriously invest in culturally relevant mental health services for people with complex and severe needs and lead with supportive housing. This is the conversation we must have today. Crucially, we will continue to firmly rise up against any acts of racist hatred and in solidarity with our AAPI community. Signed, Anti-Police Terror Project, Asian Prisoner Support Committee, Tony Duanksvith, Eddie Zhang, Lavender Phoenix. Emily Hoven, how typical is James Ramsey's story across the state of California? I think that it's something that occurs all too often, um, you know, I, in my capacity as a member of the Chronicle, the San Francisco Chronicle editorial board, we have done a very intensive look into um, understanding the state's behavioral health system and how that intersects with um, the criminal justice system. And what we have discovered is that um, <laughs> essentially there is 
there are very few places that are open to people with severe uh, mental health needs who also have criminal records. And we end up in this very complex situation where stemming from um, the state's decision in the 1950s and 1960s to uh, shut down many state mental hospitals, um, largely because of you know inhumane situations at those hospitals. Um, the, the goal then was to create community mental health facilities that would be more humane and you know, would treat people where they were in their community. Uh, the problem was that federal and state funding for those facilities never materialized. And so what ended up happening was that people that, you know, through no fault of their own that suffered very severe mental health conditions um, ended up with nowhere to go. And they ended up on the streets and they ended up in, uh, pr in prisons and jails. And we saw that people that had these mental health conditions were criminalized, even if they did not already, um, if they were not already exhibiting, you know, um, offend, offender behavior um, or committing offenses in the community. Um, and so what we have now is that we have people who um, may be committing crimes partially because of their mental illness. And because of that, they are incarcerated. Um, and yet, precisely because of the fact that they are incarcerated, once they are released into the community, um, the community mental health facilities at all levels of care have are very reluctant to accept folks with those records because they have concerns over liability. They don't feel they can safely treat someone that may have uh, complex needs and may have violent tendencies. Um, there are not enough staffers that um, are, are trained um, and, and adequately paid to work with these, this, this harder to treat population. And so what we end up happening and you know what, what happened with, uh, with James Ramsey and that's happened with other um, folks in the community is that they keep cycling in and out of um, prison, jail and homelessness. And during that time, their mental health conditions are worsening and they're never quite getting the treatment that, that they need. And you know that, manifests itself in um, in horrific incidents like the one we saw of, of the assault of, of the Asian elder. And so it's just really, um, it's really a shame that the state has let things get to this point where um, people are not only harming themselves, but are also harming other members of the community. Emily, in, in terms of sheer numbers, can you talk about how many folks are receiving and this, I'm using this word in the air quotes, care um, for their mental health issues inside of jails and prisons. Like how much of the prison and jail population um, are we talking about here? We are talking about a very sizable amount. Um, I believe it's at, it's at least, I wanna say it's at least, I need to check, check that those numbers, but I believe it's that it's the majority of folks who are in jails and prisons are suffering from mental health conditions um, of, of very varying levels of severity. Um, and it's really interesting because um, there was at one point there was um, a look at what had happened when the state closed its mental its mental um, hospital system and there and then after that happened, obviously the population of state mental hospitals, plummeted. Um, but during that time, um, the amount of people with mental illnesses in jails and prisons skyrocketed. There was actually a San Jose State study that came out recently that found of the 19,000 seriously mentally ill people that California incarcerated in 2015, 
um, nearly 14,000 were there precisely because of state hospitals closing. In other words, they were incarcerated because of their of their mental illnesses. And I actually just pulled up the, the, the latest numbers. So yes, um, more than half of the people in state prisons currently are being treated for varying levels of mental illness. Jail data is a bit harder to come by because it's you know, it's location by location, but I think we can we can assume that it's probably about the same, if not worse. How many state hospitals exist to be able to take in folks like this and how bottlenecked are they by the lack of infrastructure across the state? We only have um, five state mental hospitals um, at this point, and um, it, it's, it's really bottlenecked. And the thing, so the thing that's really interesting about the state mental hospital system is that in the past, it was for people that had, you know, severe mental health needs, and that was kind of the, the main reason they were there. Once that system kind of ended and people started going to the state mental hospital system as a result of being incarcerated for um, having been in, in prison and, and in jail, um, we saw that the the um, amount of space open for just people in the community went down very, very, um, very, very much. And so we have the amount of people that are in a backlog trying to get into the state hospital system is very large. Both people that had been placed on conservatorships by in the community, which signals that, you know, they are they are either gravely disabled, not able to care for themselves, pose a risk to themselves or to other people. Those folks are having extreme difficulty getting into the state mental hospital system. And then there is also a very sizable backlog of people who uh, are trying to get into it from the criminal justice system and who have been deemed in mentally incompetent to stand trial. Uh, in other words, they're not aware of the crimes that they committed. They are, you know, so their, their condition is so se- severe that they're not aware of what's going on and they can't be held um, to blame for, you know, their actions. And so those people end up languishing um, in jails and prisons while they're trying to get into the state hospital system, which is essentially the only um, facility in the in the state of California that re- accepts people regardless of their criminal background, their violence levels, their insurance status or situation, um, and other uh, occurring uh, physical uh, or developmental disabilities. Um, you noted that Mr. Ramsey suffered from um, ongoing uh, brain trauma, and we actually found that um, many facilities in, in the state, more than 50% of psychiatric facilities in California at all levels of care, from um, the most acute to the least acute, cannot accept people that um, have severe mental health conditions and also have um, a serious co-occurring condition like a traumatic brain injury or dementia um, or anorexia or something of that nature. The needs are just so complex and um, the level of expertise required is so high that really it's only the state hospital system that can provide that level of care at this point. Um, And so because there's so few spaces available um, and the amount of people trying to get in just from the criminal justice system alone is so large, um, many people just end up getting worse wherever they are, whether that's in a jail cell or whether that's on the street. In addition to jail cells or the streets, for folks that can't get into these facilities, where are some of the other places that they are languishing? And what does that mean for folks with lesser, um, less severity of mental health crisis who need help and are willing to go into these facilities and may just need to be there for a period of time to get treatment, the right medication, and then be able to rejoin society? 
Yeah, it's this really paradoxical situation where you have people who, so in the state hospital system at the highest level of care, once those people improve to the point where they can be treated um, or they can, you know, continue to recover um, in a in a mental health facility that is less acute, meaning they have more personal freedom, there's less supervision, there's less, um, you know, there's just an acknowledgement that that individual is more able to care for themselves. The problem is, is that many of those um, lower level mental health facilities, either those that are outpatient or those that are unlocked residential facilities in the community, are either unwilling or unable to accept those individuals, again, precisely because of the fact that they have been in the criminal justice system and have a criminal record. And so what ends up happening is that you have people who end up staying in state hospitals, you know, which is a very intensive locked level of care even when they have improved. And um, that can cause their condition to deteriorate. It can mean that people that have those acute needs are not able to get them treated. Um, and by that same token, um, there are beds that are going unused in some of these lower level facilities, even though there are massive waiting lists to go in, again, because those facilities are not able or unwilling to accept people that have improved and are ready to transfer down from higher levels of care into lower levels of care. And so there's just this bottleneck and this mismatch where people, if they're lucky enough to be able to get care, they're not always able to get it to be matched at the at the same level that it needs to be. And um, I've talked to a lot of folks who have shared that when you are in a facility that is not at the level that you need it to be, if it's either too restrictive or not restrictive enough, that's when you end up with, with problems. And you know, you mentioned to me that um, Mr. Ramsey had repeatedly expressed his desire to be treated in a locked mental health facility because he understood that if he was not in that level of care, he would simply run away and he would not accept medications. He would just not be in the right. He just wouldn't. He needed to be in that higher level of care to really get the improvement that he that he needed to have. And that account that you shared with me was uh, corroborated in court records that showed when that when he was on probation and when he had been released from jail, released back into the community with, um, you know, not that level of restriction or oversight, he was um, not very receptive to, you know, receiving treatment or taking his medication. And it's just very unfortunate because he clearly was expressing this desire that I need to be in the higher level of care. Um, but he wasn't able to get that. And so the, the other options that he received were not were not meeting what he himself had articulated um, that he knew he needed in order to get the care that um, would have hopefully helped him improve. This show, Emily, is, is unapologetically abolitionist and we're definitely for decarceration, but you lifted up something um, in one of your articles about how some of the re more recent court mandates to reduce California's prison population may exacerbate this crisis if guardrails aren't put into place. What should those guardrails look like? I think what um, we have, a concern that the editorial board has is that California oftentimes has these very um, ambitious goals. Um, so for example, it did not want people to be warehoused in mental hospitals that provided in inhumane levels of care. So it significantly reduced the amount of state hospitals um, that California has. By that very same notion, um, it does not want to continue 
a pattern of uh, mass incarceration in which people, especially people that are, you know, committing very low level offenses are shuttled away to state prisons and kept there for decades upon decades. I mean, I think we can all agree that that is not a good system. And obviously there have been abuses in the past where um, members of marginalized communities were disproportionately impacted. And clearly there are abuses in, in the jail and prison system. Those are well-documented um, reforms are obviously needed because people are going to return to the community, the vast majority of them, and they need to receive the rehabilitation um, and um, within that system that allows them to able to enter society as a, you know, as a productive and well-adjusted um, citizen once they're, they complete their term. All of that being said, um, you know, the state is moving very quickly to reduce um, criminal sentencing for, for all types, many types of offenses. Um, it's working to shutter numerous prisons um, right now. And um, the concern that the editorial board had has is that, you know, again, that's a very good goal to have is to re reduce the amount of people who are, who are in prisons. Um, yet it's not clear to us that there is an alternative structure being put in place to handle um, crime, which is obviously going to continue. I mean, it's just the fact of life. People are going to are, are going to break the law. Um, I mean, as much as I wish that wasn't the truth, that that's the truth. And we need to have an infrastructure in place to to handle that. And I think what's also very concerning to me is that. Paradoxically, jails and prisons have become mental health facilities in the state of California, which they never should have been. That's not the, that's not the goal. They are not equipped to do that. People should be, mental health should be separate from the criminal justice system. Um, but if you're just closing down facilities that are in some ways the only times people may even have a chance of getting the care that they need, you know, where are they going to, where are they going to go? And um, it's, uh, it, it just is concerning to us that the state has not really articulated a clear plan um, for an alternative justice system or an alternative system of care. It wants to it wants to decarcerate um, itself without having first built up a very robust behavioral health system that would address some of the issues that we've been talking about in this conversation um, and that would address people who are mentally ill that maybe don't even need to go into the criminal justice system in the first place. Um, and so I think that it's very difficult to build a plane while you're flying it. And I think that if it's going to, if it's going to take apart a plane, it needs to know that there's another vehicle right there that's going to kind of continue on seamlessly and improve upon the old system rather than just tearing something down. And then we end up with something that could potentially be worse because in my, you know, obviously the, the previous system of the state's mental hospital system had had issues. Um, clearly, but I'm not necessarily convinced that our current system is better. I mean, people are people are really, really suffering, and they're suffering in the streets, and they're suffering in in carceral settings. And you know, sometimes I do think there is an argument to be made that what if we looked at the old mental hospital system and we corrected the abuses that we identified within that system instead of just completely abolishing it and kind of just hoping for the best. Let's talk about some of California's plans. What is Governor Gavin Newsom hoping to put on the ballot in 2024? Yeah, so he has um, a rather ambitious and complicated um, initiative that he wants to put before voters. So one portion of it would be um, to reform something called the Mental Health Services Act, which is something that voters actually passed um, more than a decade ago. 
And that essentially enacted a tax um, on millionaires, a 1% tax on millionaires, and funneled that money to counties to fund the county behavioral health system. So intensive mental health services, some substance abuse services, crisis intervention, things like that. He, right now, um, counties have a lot of discretion um, in how they spend that money and they're able to kind of tailor it to local communities. The governor wants to be a lot more prescriptive at the state level and um, essentially require 30% of that money to go to housing interventions, 30% for these um, full service partnerships that would also include substance abuse um, disorder treatment. And then the rest of it would be for, you know, specific uses that are, are currently being funded under the current system. Um, and that funding would presumably also play into the second part of the ballot measure, which is a nearly $5 billion bond measure that would help the state uh, build about build mental health facilities, unlocked community residential treatment facilities across the state that um, could presumably serve about 10,000 people. Um, and we at the Chronicle Editorial Board have identified numerous concerns as has um, the nonpartisan legislative, legislative analyst office, which advises the legislature on fiscal issues. Um, and some of the concerns have to do with the fact that the governor's office has not really put forth any sort of clear um, evidence that this plan would actually substantially improve behavioral health outcomes for the population. Um, there is a concern that uh, the 10,000 mental health beds that the governor is talking about would do absolutely nothing to address the core issues that we raised, um, which are there are currently open beds at mental health facilities that are going unused because those facilities will not accept people that have criminal records or that are violent, um, that have sex offenses, that are arsonists. And these are the people that have the most acute and severe and complex needs and that are disproportionately contributing to these bottlenecks. And so if we don't, if our new infrastructure does not clear up those bottlenecks, either by incentivizing those new, those new facilities to accept that population, um, or by increasing provider payment rates to treat that population, we're gonna have a lot more infrastructure, but it's not gonna address the core issue at hand. Um, and so those are some of the, the issues that, that we've raised with the proposal. I think that there, you know, obviously there's, there's still a need for mental health treatment beds. Um, and I don't think that, you know, it would, it would be for naught, but I think that we would be really be missing a big opportunity to address a problem that over and over again, independent analysts and the state's own um, healthcare services department has repeatedly said, we need facilities that can treat this population. Um, in 2022, the state did an assessment of its behavioral healthcare infrastructure and the state department of healthcare services said, oh, 68% of counties are saying they have a very acute need for facilities that are treating people coming out of the criminal justice system. No one wants to take someone that's been out of jail, no one wants to accept someone that's been out of prison. And, you know, there's very vague language in the in the bond proposal that says we're going to prioritize people that have criminal justice involvement, but that's just one of many things that it prioritizes. And there's no such thing as it doesn't currently require those types of placements. And so our fear is that we're going to spend a lot of money and we're going to end up with um, something that is really no different than what, where we are right now. All right, Emily. Well, on that cheery note, we've got to leave it there. <laughs> thank you so much. Really, really, truly, thank you so much for your coverage of this issue and um, for coming on the show this morning.
Of course. Thank you so much, Kat. You've been listening to Law and Disorder, a podcast where we expose the cracks in our system, agitate for resistance, and collectively build a new world in which all of us can thrive. That's it for this episode, family. You can find more information about topics and guests in this episode's show notes. Law and Disorder is produced at KPFA. That's listener-supported radio on the Pacifica Network. The show is produced by Jesse Strauss and hosted by me, Kat Brooks. Our theme music was composed by Steve Raskin of Fort Knox 5. If you like what you heard, please follow us on social media at Law and Dis, that's D-I-S, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to holler at us about something you heard or send us a show idea at lawanddisorder at kpfa.org. You can also find our content live at 8 a.m. weekdays on KPFA. That's 94.1 FM in the Bay Area. Our show and all of KPFA's programs are funded exclusively by you, the listener. And if you're in a position to support us, please donate today at kpfa.org. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. We all we got, fam.